This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. So, I'm going to be continuing my my portion of uh, the teaching, ministering to the family, spirit, soul, and body this morning. And as we know, my portion is on the spirit. And I also also want to encourage you guys, we do have our... um, uh, submitting of questions that we're doing during this teaching, so you should have a link on your screen. You can go to our website or whatever means you have for getting those questions to us after this whole uh, the whole session on uh, ministering to the family. If those questions have not been answered, we will go over them and we will have a session of just answering those questions uh, with the Word of God. So again, my portion is who is responsible to lead, and again we're, we're going to be talking about the role of the, the Holy Spirit in the family. And my, my my portion is who is responsible to lead and how should they lead. Who is responsible to follow, and how should they follow, and we're going to discuss that for each member of the family. And then we're going to talk about God's instruction on how to be, how to be loving and balanced spiritually, and hopefully you'll be hearing this throughout all of that discussion. Um, I, I don't want to have to go back and point these out to you. You know, you should be hearing these things because, you know, as your spirit grows and you hear these things that are of the spirit, it should ring right with your spirit. You should, be, you should understand that those are the things that are are needed for us to grow spiritually in our family. And so we've started off with what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the family, and we started off in Proverbs chapter 8, where it spoke about the wisdom, which is the very character of God, which has been with him from the beginning, which is who God is. And we, we found out that, that that wisdom is with us this very day. That same very wisdom, which is his spirit, has been given, us, given to us so that we can, inherit, we can inherit substance, we can inherit fruit. And so we talked about who the Holy Spirit was in our lives. And we said the Holy Spirit is God's authority in you. He is the wisdom of God to you, which causes you to grow into the knowledge of Christ, that you might be effective in all good works. And then I I brought to everybody's remembrance what marriage is, because I wanted everybody to remember, you're going into this union, into God's covenant with an imperfect person, which means there's always going to be need for growth, spiritual growth. So if you're with an imperfect person, that imperfect person needs growth. And this growth will last you a lifetime. And we said that spiritual growth is a process through which the believer increases in the knowledge and understanding of their salvation. This means not only knowing what salvation is done, but experiencing the changes which occur from allowing the seed of the word of God to abide in you. It's in his word that, that causes us to change and that causes us to grow. And then we said that we first have to identify where we are in order to grow. We also talked about growth for a bit, and I'm not going to do it extensively today because I'm trying to get to a point. But we did talk about growth and how it's the natural process of everything, every living thing. In order for, for, for something to grow, or I'm sorry, in order for something to become fruitful, it has to first grow first. It has to go through a season of growth, and then there's an expected, expectancy of fruit after you've gone through that season of growth. And we said that your fruit tells you what seed you are of. And for those of us who have the Holy Spirit inside of us, there's an expectation. We are dead, and we were once dead in our trespassing sins, but now we're alive to God. We're dead to those to those sins. We're alive to God. We've been quickened with His Spirit. And so, once you've accepted Jesus into your heart by faith, you've heard the voice of the Lord, and you've obeyed you've obeyed Him, and His Spirit took a boat in you. And now we have to focus on growing spiritually, so that we could be what God has called us to be. So we talked about the different stages of spiritual growth. And again, I'm not going to go through all of those things, uh, all the, the stages extensively, but I do want to mention them again. And we talked about being either spiritually discerned or cut off from God. And again, like I said, Minister Stinson touched on that extensively in her teaching. And we talked about being babies, which are pretty much just born again, uh, desiring the sincere milk of the word. 
And then we talked about the children, you know, the baby that won't grow up, who thinks they're ready for meat, but they haven't walked yet in the milk, you know, still caught up with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of the life. They lack understanding. They lack self-control, lack commitment. We call them the carnal believer. They allow the word to get, to get choked out of them, the seed of the word of God to get choked out of them. And then we moved on to the mature man or the perfect man. And this is one who understands and walks in the milk of the word and has moved on to the meat of the word. And we discussed what the meat of the word was. We said this is what takes us away from the self-concerns and those carnal desires. And we start focusing on, on developing and producing fruit so that we can be a blessing to others. That's what the meat of the word, that's, that's what the mature man is. We said that the growth process for the mature man is upward, inward, and outward when there's fruit to give. And then also, let me go ahead and get here. We said that the, uh, the mature man was always looking for ways to give themselves to others for the cause of Christ. And we also said that no matter what stage you're in, if you're not on the proper diet, which is the diet prescribed by God, there will be, your spiritual growth will be lacking. There will be no progress if you're not getting the proper diet, which is prescribed by God. So we said that everybody needed to, to categorize their lives and see what stage of growth they were in. Because whether you're, in, whether you're a baby or you're just coming to, coming to Christ or whether you're the mature man, there's always need for growth. There's always need to listen to the word of God because his word is endless. That's why you have the spirit of God with you for the lifetime. There's always need for growth. So we started off with the first question. In the family, who is responsible to lead and how should they lead? And we started off at 1 Corinthians. Let's go ahead and turn there because I want to read that again because we're going to get to where I want to be fairly quickly. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm just going to read verse 3 again. And it says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, as I, I pointed out last time, it doesn't say, you know, the head of the man will only be the head if he's spiritually mature, you know, if he's walking that mature path. If he's, not if he's just a newborn believer, then if the wife is spiritually mature, she can be the head. It doesn't give any stipulations there. Now, I want to tell you something. We are going to address that a little bit more extensively later on today if we get there. But I'm telling you, God's design is his design, and he doesn't change. And it's been this way from the very beginning. So we, we discussed what is headship? What does it mean to lead? And we said that to lead or headship means uh, the first to act. We said it means to teach, the first to teach, to be an example or a guide for others. It's the shoulder the responsibility and the direction of the family. We said it means the first to love. And we saw that Christ was the perfect example of this as, as the head of the church. He was the first to love us. He gave us the ability to love. He gave us our faith. His word nourishes our faith. In that same way that Christ is the way for the church, that's how the Father should be for the family. He should be first. He needs to lay down his life for his family. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You have to wash your wife with the water of the word. You have to be the first to love. And then we said that God did have a divine order, and we went all the way back to the beginning. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to go through this again, but when we get to, you know, Who's, you know, who's supposed to follow and how they should follow we're going to take it back to the beginning again so I hope you're not getting tired of Genesis so we're going to be there a while so let's go ahead and turn back to Genesis Genesis chapter chapter 1 and I'm going to try to go through this quickly still because we haven't got to where I wanted to get but that's okay because these things bear reminding and repeating so Genesis chapter 1 and I started at verse 26 
And it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. And I'm going to go ahead and say this now. You know, when he's talking about man here, he's talking about the species of man. Okay, and after our likeness. So I want you to understand this. When I say the species of man, male and female created he them. Both male and female are in his image and in his likeness. That's what he's made here. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, multiply and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now we see from here, like I said, God created male and female already, and then we jump down here to verse 15, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden. So, as of now, it is just that when he's talking about man here, he's talking about male man. He's talking about Adam. He took the man and put him into the garden. So, man, or male man, was positioned first. Male and female are created, but the male man was positioned first. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden, uh, put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. See, the Lord God gave Adam some responsibilities. He told him, he told Adam, look, look, this is your maturity test right here. I want you to, to dress and to keep the, to keep the garden. And I, and I want you to understand, like I said last time, all these commandments that, 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 that Adam is getting, this is before he has a wife. He gives commands and charge to Adam because he wants to see he wants to see Adam obey. He wants to see if he's ready for what God already has in store for him. Like I said, male and female were created already. The command to be fruitful and multiply, as Adam went through the garden and he did the commandments of the Lord and, and, and he was naming everything, he began to see, you know, and, and he learned that command, he began to see, I can't do this on my own. But even though he knew he couldn't do it on his own, he was still walking in obedience. He, I'm going to put it to you like this. Adam was a friend of God. He walked with him in the cool of the garden. The, the first voice that Adam ever heard was the voice of the Lord. That, that speaks volumes about, I know it's not premarital, but about where your life should be before you get married. Before there's a wife introduced. He heard the instruction of the Lord. And he walked in it. He obeyed. The voice of the Lord is his instruction for us. It's his, that wisdom that's been from the very beginning. He was giving something to Adam right there. He heard the voice of the Lord. He said, you need to prepare a few things first. He obeyed. He listened to the instruction of the Lord. And he knew the voice of the Lord because he spent all the time with him. He spent all his time with God before he got a wife. And this was all, this was part of God's design because you know what? God knew, Adam, you need to be mature and equipped to lead. There's some things you need, you need to do before. You need to dress and to keep. Listen, I'm going to give you the commands beforehand. Do not eat from the tree in the midst of the garden. I need you to name the animals. But in that midst, God said... Uh, but it's not good for man to be alone. Now, I told y'all last time to remember, everything God did in creation was good. But right there he says, but that's not good for man to be alone. I want you to keep remembering that because we're still not on, you know, who's going to follow. But remember that. God said, that, that's not good that man should be alone. 
So, God put Adam in a deep sleep, and he made him a wife. He made him woman. And, you know, the, the thing that stood out to me about that, and I said it last week, was, you know, when God made woman, he didn't go back to the dust of the ground. It wasn't creation time. All Remember, he already created male and female, but when he formed woman, he didn't go back. When he positioned her, he didn't do what he did to Adam. He didn't go back to the dust of the ground and form him that way. He took him from Adam. That means there's something in Adam that the woman needed. There's something in Adam that the woman had to receive. So he, he, he took her from Adam. And then once she was there, he didn't say, now here's the commands I gave Adam again. Here's what I want you to do. Here's a, here, I, I need you to be fruitful. He didn't do that again. Because he was preparing Adam. Remember, that was, that was Adam's learning stage because God was his first teacher. And he was like, now that you have everything, it's no longer be any more creation. It's, pro, it's, it's time for you to appropriate uh, physically and spiritually. That means everything that you've learned about dressing, about keeping, about being fruitful, about multiplying, about staying away from the tree in the midst of the garden, and, and everything else he learned with God because he was with God, you have to teach. So Adam became the first teacher. Everything he learned to replenish the earth, to subdue it. He didn't, God didn't say, now that I have you both, let me repeat it again. No, he had to teach it. That was your position. That's why, that's why he placed man in the garden first, to learn these things. God is not a wasteful God. He's not going to be like, well, we're going to have this training for you. And then when you come back, I'm going to put you right back in here. No, God said, now teach. You're equipped to. And then we see in chapter 3, of course, verse 1 through 8, we see the fall of man. We see what happened. And And we went to Timothy and we saw how it said that it wasn't Adam that was deceived. It was the woman that was deceived. And that means that, that means Adam, Adam went willingly with what she did. Uh, Adam taught her what the Lord said. He said it, and then she went and did it anyway. And, and right there in front of him. So if you are okay with it, that means you relinquished your leadership. Like I said last week, he should have cut it off right there. He should have stopped it right there. And I, like I said before, I don't, want, I don't want you to get judgmental of Adam because a lot of our people, a lot of, a lot of us believers do that in our home. We, we relinquish our leadership to our wives. And you wonder why things are on a rocky basis. And you think, well, well I'm, I'm providing financially, but are you providing spiritually? See, this, this, this right here was Adam to make sure he was providing spiritually for his wife because after this, they were cut off. That was the fall. It's crucial that you stay, it's crucial that you stay in position. Because if Satan comes in, and if you allow him to come in, he'll get you off the purpose of God. Quickly. And make it seem like it's the right thing to do. He told them all the things that they, that they wanted to hear. I said they, because Adam was there. He gave up his leadership. 
we saw in the verse uh, the verse 16, it says, Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And I, I told you about that word desire. It means longing to control. And I looked up that Hebrew word for it. It was teshuka. I looked in the Bible and immediately the next, the, 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 the place that I found that, uh, that word again was in chapter 4, verse 7. It says, If thou dost well, thou, thou shalt not be accepted. But if, and if thou dost not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, or teshuka, the longing to control. Sin, longing to control. That's the effect that the fall of, of man had on woman. The woman will long to control the husband, and the husband will try to dominate her. And I, when I say dominate, I, I say they still want to be the head, they want to be the lead, but they don't want to do it by God's standards. And that's when they step in and you, you have to say things like, remember I'm the head. I'm the leader, you're trying to dominate, you know, it's your way of the highway, I'm putting my foot down. When God, God calls us to, to lead by, like Christ does, and how does Christ lead? He, we're supposed to love as Christ loved the church. We're called to lead by love. Faith working through love. So again, if purpose is going to be fulfilled, godly leadership is a must. That means, again, if purpose is going to be fulfilled, godly submission is a must. Because remember, God created, these, God created male and female to complete his purpose. In the marriage covenant. It can't be one without the other. You're not, the male is not equipped to do what the, the, the female is equipped to do. The female is not equipped or positioned to do what the male is equipped to do. So, what should the husband's leadership look like? And how do I love my wife? Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> and I'm going to start at verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So... I love how, how it starts off right there because when it's saying submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, it's implying that y'all both need to submit to God first. Verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There it is right there. How do I love my wife? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And it says here that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So what, what can we learn about the husband's love, the husband's love from Christ's example? The first thing is, the husband's love has to be unchanging and realistic. And, and, and follow me when I say this. When I say it has to be realistic. The husband shouldn't have any fantasies about the wife. And this goes both ways. But I'm talking to the husband now. There shouldn't be any fantasies about the, about the wife. You know, Christ, Christ loved the church, but he knew that there was, there was some sin and, and, and disobedience in some of the people that were going to be in the church. He knew it. There was, there was, that's what he came for. See, that's a real love. When I can, listen, when I can love you through, not love you because. 
He knew our souls would need washing on a daily basis. He gave his life for the church knowing that the church had faults. His love is unchanging. It's merciful. It's compassionate. It's selfless. The way the husband's love should be. Listen, nobody's wife can walk on water. Everybody's been affected by sin. That means she must be loved through her faults. It's your unchanging and realistic love that will lift her through those faults. The husband love has to be sacrificial. It has to be selfless. He has to love her as Christ loved the church. He must be willing to lay down his life for her. And I'm going to tell you this. Aside from the grace of God, that, this type of love is impossible. You know, everybody wants to be the head. You want to lead. Well, you, the head needs to lay down their life. You have to sacrifice for her. You have to give up things for her. And without the Spirit's leading, there's no way. That, listen, you have to sacrifice certain friendships. You know, people, they come, they go. You have to sacrifice those things. You have to sacrifice career. Your family should be your vocation, your career. That, that's, that's something that comes. You have to sacrifice those entertaining things that you like, those hobbies that you like. Those things should be up to be sacrificed for your wife. Remember, marriage is a lifetime commitment. The, the wife is the one thing that's going to stay for a lifetime. Those other things I mentioned, they come and they go. You've got to be willing to get, give up those things. You have to sacrifice your ego. And that's a big one. That means you have to, you have to humble yourself to lead. This is, that's that unseen work, right? Now we're talking about examining ourselves. Instead of looking for somebody else to blame like Adam did. It's this woman you gave me. No, no, no. But you've been but I gave you the command. Listen, a man of integrity can let go of ego and can admit his flaws. Because you need to grow. See, that's maturity. When you desire growth. You gotta let go of some things so you can lead your family correctly. Not sacrificing those things, especially because, and I said it last week, you know, whatever you bring to the table, you're gonna get. Not sacrificing those things, you're gonna get that pushback from your wife. There's gonna be a struggle for supremacy. She's gonna long to control you while you're trying to dominate her. And, and, and let me help you out, man. When everybody's fighting for supremacy, lowliness, that could be the that could be the greatest virtue of all. Being humble, being meek, having a humble spirit. See, a humble spirit not only can learn, but a humble spirit can teach. Lowliness can deal with your arguing. It can deal with your fighting, your strife, your greed, your wastefulness. Your ego. Uh, it can deal with that, that uncontrolled tongue. You know, I, I can't shut up. I can't stop talking until I say what I say.
That's, that's what Christ did. He humbled himself. And we should love as Christ loved the church. And, and, and laid down his life and gave himself for us. You know, I, I hear it all the time, you know, and it's said throughout the world, you know, meekness or whatever, or humility or, or lowliness, it makes you weak. But I say it makes you strong. Listen, I, I, don't, I don't ever want to be too strong that I can't be meek or gentle with my wife. I don't ever want to think that highly of myself. Proverbs 22, verse 4 and 5 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the forward. Listen, listen your ego, that's a thorn and a snare. In the way of the forward, in the way of your hard head. So here we are at the question, right? Well, you say, you know, you say your wife, she, she may be spiritually, uh, she's more spiritually mature than I am. Her desire to depend on the Lord and her walk with the Lord, it, it's an example to me. So how can I lead her? So first off, I want you to realize that what makes you equipped is, is, is not your superior knowledge. It's not your superior wisdom or your superior insight. Your college educations, that's, that's not what makes you equipped. She could be ahead of you and all that. And yet the strength of your leadership is still intact because God does the positioning and the equipping. Not man. Hmm, but this is, this is God's covenant. I'm not denying that knowledge and wisdom are good to have in the leadership position. But those things are always developed over time. Those things can come. But the core of the call in your life is a mature God-given position that your relationship... Is your the first one to take care of that relationship? The one who has primary responsibility of that relationship is you, the husband. You, as the male, you bear primary responsibility for your relationship, for your spiritual relationship. When you run into issues in your relationship and, and it's your, responsi- your responsibility to make sure that the issues get worked out, even if your wife has the wisdom to fix it, here's what the lead should do. Go and ask your wife for the wisdom. That's what the lead does. And ask her for the wisdom to fix it. Understand this, imperfect person. I'm talking to the males. Understand this. You're not going to know everything. That's why your wife was given to you as a help meet. She makes up the difference. That means things may not be perfect, but you have to work first. That's what I'm, that's what I'm, you may not have the, the insight or, or what she has to, to fix or the wisdom to fix the issue, but you need to initiate it if you know she does. You need to be the first. Well, I know she has it. See, see this is when your priority becomes, becomes I'm going to get God's answer no matter what. No matter how I feel in the situation. So yes, the wife has her responsibilities, but you take initiative. You bear primary responsibility before God. That's your calling. 
and, and that doesn't depend on you being her superior or dominating her. That takes courage. That takes faith in God. That takes sacrifice. I think of, I think of Abram, who was told by God to listen to his wife about casting out the bondwoman. Abraham heard the voice of God, and even though he may not have liked it, he obeyed it. See, the husband that submitted to God will be able to hear the voice of God through his wife. And this is what I mean when I say hear the voice of God through his wife. God came and confirmed what she said to him. Good leaders, they recognize other strengths and they use it. Lean on them in those areas. If your wife is better at finances than you, lean on her in those areas. Please use your wisdom. That's wisdom from God right there. It's like this. Right? Now, I'm just trying to give you a picture. There's a boat designer. And I'm, I'm referencing, think of it spiritually. Uh, somebody made a ship. I'm saying God is the designer. There's a captain of the ship. We'll say that's the husband. There's someone who works the sail. Let's say that's the wife. Now, though the captain is the captain, let's say the wife is the one who knows how to work the sail and works it better. It would be out of line for him to step over there and be like, I'm the captain. Let me work the sail. It's not going to work like it's designed to. That's not your position. That's not what you're equipped to do. The husband's love must be fueled by purpose. And the purpose of Christ's love is to make the church holy. Cleansing her. Washing her by the word. So the husband must love the wife through teaching her. Not, not, not just in words. Teaching her the word in action. Leading her and, and, and your family to church. You be the first. Encouraging her to serve others. Getting involved with the ministry. Getting involved with Women of Covenant. Getting involved in the facets of ministry. Getting involved with ministry outside of these four walls. The husband should help the wife discern her gifts and her talents and so, that, so that it can be used for God. You know, I know my... With my wife, there's some things that she told me she would never have done in in these four walls and outside if she wasn't pushed. She never saw herself doing this or doing that. But you're doing it for God. That's where the husband should push the wife to. That's where you're leading your ship to. And the same goes for your children, fathers. You know, this is one thing I love about God. God is always involved in the lives of his children. Always. So, Father, you should always be involved in the life of your children. Always. That, that's not mother's work. That's father's work. That's why there's so many generational curses there are today. Can't stay out of jail. Whoremongering. Alcoholism. Whatever. You name it. 
That's because father's out of place. Father's absent. But the father near Christ can stand in the gap of those generational curses. He can get rid of the trail of the serpent in their family, in their family. I've been led by the Spirit consistently. It's not hit or miss. It's consistently. God is always involved in the life of His children. Consistently. He's there, and He's ready to do if you allow Him. Just like you should be with your children. Listen, the most significant impact in the lives of the children or the father. That's not true. My father's not been there. And that's been a significant impact. That's why in Proverbs it says, train up a child in the way they should go and when they're old they won't depart from it. Training takes time which means I have to be present. Fathers, teaching them to serve the Lord with all. Which means I have to submit first to Christ. That's Father's work. You, you can tell, you, you tell your child to be blue in the face. You know, the child is like, okay, that's good, but I need you to show me first. I need an example. And the example, of course, should be to be the example of Christ. Look unto Jesus, the, uh, the author and finisher of our faith, who, who for the joy set before him endured. I, he endured. I love that word. To be fueled by purpose is to endure, it's to never give up. Listen, fathers. The strength and the wisdom that yields growth, it only comes from sticking around. From persevering. If you want to see that strength and wisdom in your life, you got to endure. Your love has to be fueled by the purpose of God. The husband's love must be personal. You know, the scripture says he must love her as his own body. It's not saying, husbands, love your, love your wives as much as you love yourselves. That's not what it's saying. Because remember, husbands and wives are they're one flesh. And so they make up one body. So when a husband cares for his wife, for him, I'm sorry, when a husband cares for his wife, he cares for himself because they are one. What he does for, for or what he does to her, he does to or for himself. You know, like, like Christ is the head and we are the body. The husband is the head and the wife is love her as your own body. She's the body. So that means, you know, winning an argument with harsh words is as silly as looking at yourself in the mirror and arguing. Refusing to nourish your wife is as good as not nourishing yourself. Failure to wash her with the water of the word is as good as overlooking your own hygiene. The Bible says that the wife is the glory of the man, the, the husband. 
So what you do to yourself, that's your glory. What you do to your wife, that's your glory. The husband is the head, and you are the lover as your own body. And I, I, again, we've talked about the definition of the word head. Don't, don't let it confuse you. What did Christ say about the head? He said, the greatest of you will serve, to be like the youngest. They said the youngest, the youngest were in, in Jewish customs, they were the ones that served everybody. So the greatest of you, the head, you're supposed to be the first to serve. The greatest servant. That means the husband should be constantly humbling, humbling themselves to serve their wives. And then we get to this point where I'm going to start addressing the next question. Who's responsible to follow and how should they follow? And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we're talking about submission here. Don't get scared of that word submission. Or don't think of it as the world thinks of it. But again, like I said before, to address this, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. So let's, if you're no longer in Genesis, let's go back to Genesis. Because we have to know God's plan and purpose for the wife since the very beginning. So we already know that God made one man that was going to be male and female. He created male and female, created he them. And, and, and I want you to know from the very beginning, the woman was in the mind of God. From the very beginning. So again, he was saying, let us make the species, male and female, two genders. Both made in his likeness. That's what I'm saying. There's, there's no difference in the mind of God when it comes to image and, and his likeness. Because God isn't, he's not a human. God is spirit. He's not talking about the man is made in my image and I have all the anatomical parts of the man. No. That's not what he's talking about. Both made in his image and his likeness. Both male and female are blessed by God to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish. And listen, that's spiritually too. And it's amazing to me because you know that man must be fruitful and multiply. And he gave this command before he placed the, the female. How great the mind of God. This tells you the mind of God even before the man was positioned. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Even before the man was positioned. That means, you know, to, to, to be fruitful and multiply, you have to be able to give life. And it's not lost on me that Eve, the life giver, was, was placed by God. And God knew this before the man was placed. How great the mind of God. And then again in chapter 2, verse 18, we hear for the first time, after everything he created was good, we hear him say, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a help me. So that means, if it's not good for the man to be alone, He's going to make something good to make up the difference. Or he's already made something good to make up the difference. (sighs) 
And here's what the good thing is. He took away, he took away man's loneliness and he gave him woman. It's not good for man to be alone. So give me your loneliness and I'm going to give you what's good. I'm going to give you what you need. To, because I've already given you the commandments. Now I'm going to give you what you need to get these things done. To be good is to be beneficial, to be valuable. Uh, and then he said, he said I'm going to make you a help meet. Meet means suitable, adaptable. Just what you need. And I, you know, I looked at that word help. It means to respond to a need. One who complete, compliments or completes. A partner. That's why in Proverbs 18, 22 it says, Whoever finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor with the Lord. He made the woman so she could be sensitive to the needs of her family, sensitive to her husband, sensitive to the Spirit of God so that you can use your influence to compliment and respond to your husband so that purpose is fulfilled. Because, let me, let me tell you something. Purpose is bigger than any position. Purpose is bigger than who's leading, who's submitting. And I say all of this to say this. The, the wife wasn't positioned last. She was just positioned after the man for purpose sake. She's not an afterthought. Let's go back to Ephesians 5. I know we're bouncing back and forth from Genesis to Ephesians, Genesis to Ephesians. But let's go back there. Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to read this verse again. Verse 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the body, I'm sorry, head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. So the wife needs to submit to her husband's leadership. Who submitted to Christ? So when you enter God's institution of marriage, he says to the wife, not only do you honor me, but now you're maintaining your honor for me by honoring your husband, who he's called you to follow and be a helpmeet for. Again, you have to first submit to Christ to faithfully submit to your husband. That is a prerequisite. Because if you're not faithful to Christ, you will not be faithful. You will not submit to your husband. I want you to consider Sarah. As a matter of fact, let's turn to 1 Peter. We got mm, Yeah, let's go. 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 5. It says... For this manner in the old time, the holy woman also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection or submission unto their own husband, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. See, Sarah called her husband master. Called her husband. She was submitted as he was submitted to Christ. And the scripture said this is one of the characteristics that makes a woman beautiful. Submission is a beautiful thing. L listen, 
Consider this. Abram, uh, you say I said Abram before he was Abraham. He was a rich man, very wealthy, very well off. I'm sure as far as, for those days he lived in a palace. He was rich. He had his wife with him there. And then Abram received a call from God. To get thee out of thy country, away from thy kindred, to a place that I will show thee. So he went to his wife and said, you got to give up all this. you got to leave the palace. you got to come with me. But she was submitted. Consider Sarah at that time. See, there's not much mention about it, but listen, that's somebody that, that has submitted to her husband. These things we've got to give up because God has called me. See, that's, that's what the submission of the wife does. i got to take on God's plan for me. God's plan for my husband, for me. I love talking about, you know, the, the women of the Bible. Think of, and she's not mentioned much, think of Noah's wife. Not mentioned much at all. Think of the time that they lived in. Think of the persecution they received as, as they were in a corrupt world and they were, they were out there getting ready. Noah received a commandment from God and now they're building an ark. Getting heckled from everybody on which side. In the Bible, in Genesis, it says he took his wife. Now, there was no, uh, if there was an objection from Noah's wife, it's not in the Bible. Listen, not only that, his sons and their wives came. And then I want you to think about, after after the the, the days of the flood, and when they came off of that, off the ark, they're not stepping into a world, listen, it was a flooded, what they stepped into, I bet you it looked grim. But was there any complaints from the wife of Noah? I dare say, for the little bit she's mentioned there, she took on God's plan for the, her husband's life. And it's so, it's so amazing to see God's delegated authority work all the way down the line because this, his sons and their wives came with him. In the midst, being the only ones in the world... That were, that were doing this, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of people like, you're crazy, this is what's going on, they picked up and followed. Because the husband was submitted, to, was submitted to God. And the wife was submitted to the husband. Wives, are you ready to honor your husband as unto the Lord? Are you willing to put on God's plan for his life and walk with it like it's your own? Are you prepared to do what the Spirit of God is telling you to do even if you don't agree with it? Are you prepared to submit? Because if you're not, you cannot grow. So what is submission? Because we have to figure this out so that we can grow. And we'll start there next time. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.